From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. Been a lot of stuff over the past week, so we got a lot to talk about. First, starting with the COVID material, the COVID concerns brought up by uh, Warren Thompson and, of course, related to DJ Matthews and other things there. Plenty of other things. Before that, this show is brought to you by EPR Creations. EPR Creations partners with small businesses for website development and online strategy planning. I partnered with EPR Creations to build the Show the Safeties petition to get ESPN, CBS, and other networks to update the angles they use for televised football. If you want to be able to see the receivers downfield on pass plays, sign the petition at showthesafeties.com. And if you have any need for an improved internet presence or just want to improve your marketing, call EPR Creations or send them an email and let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. You'll be glad you did. Information's in the show notes. Okay, I do want to start with uh, a little bit about the Warren Thompson and uh, DJ Matthews and uh, all of the hubbub over whether Florida State was adequately handling things in terms of their uh, COVID-19 responsibilities and concerns from players and all of that. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I'll just, I, I want to say this. First of all, um, it's not surprising that this does center, uh, this starts with a particular receiver who posted on social media that he had re- he had gotten uh, COVID-19, that is DJ Matthews. And uh, then, of course, that launched into some concerns from his fellow uh, receivers who found themselves having to sit out because of exposure and all of this. And you've got guys that had worked hard and are saying, and you can see this in, in Warren Thompson's frustration saying, look, I go back and forth from the from the football facility and go home. I do nothing like, why am I having to and, – and what I got from that was, I think, a little different from what a lot of, a lot of other people got as he was uh, criticizing things. The impression that I got was not so much that this was about, oh, you know, the, 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 we, we aren't safe or whatever from the, from the coaches, but frustration that he had to sit out, that he'd been working and he felt like he was actually starting to earn more and more playing time. And all of a sudden he has to sit out because of something some knucklehead did. Some other, somebody else exposed him and he's saying, look, I never should have had to be in the same room with that guy if he was starting to show any signs when, and wanted things to be further tightened. And good for Warren Thompson on that. That's, that's how I understand that. That's how I understood it then. I continue, as more information has come out on that, continue to understand it that way. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, Norvell handled it the way that he did with Thompson in terms of Thompson issued an apology and essentially... Uh, Norvell said, look, you know, he's, he's still with us and, you know, he, he, we're going to roll with him. And that's because the, he understood that the frustration was from Thompson as a competitor wanting to be out there and not be, uh, quarantined or not be ruled out from, from participation as a result of some, some knucklehead. And of course, it's no surprise that DJ Matthews is the epicenter of this episode. I mean, Matthews, Certainly not the only person who's had to sit out due to to uh, positive tests and all of that, but Matthews has, and, and I've 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 said this before. Matthews has been a bit of a problem since he arrived. Uh, you know, all three coaching staffs that have had him, uh, well, at least the prior two. I don't. I actually don't know with this co- coaching staff uh, just yet. Although this, I would count as that. So that's why I would. I said initially all three, but the prior two coaching staffs. Uh, each ultimately came to the same same opinion on that on that, and uh, each had their their issues with Matthews and in uh, his entitlement and all of that. Uh, and he was one of two guys, along with Kalon LeBourne, that under the last coaching staff, I 
heard the C word used. I, I, I heard each of them called cancer uh, by uh, during that uh, that regime. And look, that receiver room is always going to be a hard room to coach. It's it's receivers tend to be prima donnas for, for whatever reason. Receivers just tend to be <laughs> speaking as someone who was in that receiver room as a player. Receiver receiver rooms tend to be where a lot of prima donnas wind up and guys who you're probably going to have more. If, if you're talking to coaches around the country and you said, where are the problems on your team going to come from in terms of attitude or in terms of potential issues? Where do you expect the big, the, 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 the most drama to, to come from? You're going to get more coaches that are going to say, Oh, it's always the receiver room. You're gonna, That's what you're, that's what you're going to see more often than not. Drama is just going to come from the receiver room by nature of the position and by nature of the kinds of players that wind up playing that position. And so it's always hard. But with Nooney Murray, with DJ Matthews, with some with the recent years in that room, it's been it's been a really tough room to coach. And I have not envied uh, Dave Kelly and, and Ron Dugans for some of those situations. But I got to say, they've handled this situation really well. And, and the way that Norvell came out of this my impression is that essentially the team more trusts him more and uh, he gained more, more authority and more respect with the team once again, by how he handled this and by the way that he's handled this, the everything across the board than uh, than he did otherwise. So that, that again is a really encouraging thing that you're seeing these, these players watching closely how this new coach is going to handle things and a guy that they've not had much contact with personally speaking, there's just not been enough of that. I mean, you just don't get to know people over zoom and it's hard when a guy comes in and says, these are going to be the expectations. This is how I'm going to be. And, and with a team that's not used to having a more disciplinary and kind of approach to things that could go a lot of different ways, but he's handled this really well. And you could see that these these players are saying, look, we want to be good. And this guy is holding our feet to the fire to make sure that we're actually going to get there. Uh, and and that that's something that I think, again, Warren Thompson, his frustration was born more out of that from what I could see than otherwise. Now, these guys need to learn how to be able to keep this stuff in the locker room. Uh, you know, you don't go you don't go to social media with that, but that's just the way things are these days. Uh and as teams get more and more successful, they start to police that themselves where it's like, dude, you need to not be posting this stuff. And that's 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 where things are going to be. But at this point, there's still there's still going to be divisions on this team uh, just because of the nature of having three different coaching staffs, different people who are brought in by different staffs to play in different systems and to play for different coaches. And there's going to be hurt feelings with guys who are playing, who felt like they, they now have been passed up by this coaching staff, as opposed to the last one where maybe they were sitting in a different position. It's inevitable that there's going to be some divisions. That's just the nature of things, but you got to give the, this coaching staff some credit for the way that they've handled this and have continued to earn the respect and trust of their players. And one of the other things that, that deserves a little bit of discussion about that is last Wednesday, the uh, trip to South Georgia to go out to the woods, to go out and do some fishing and and skeet shooting and get guys away from everything. So this is, and as a couple players said, like, look, we've done this before in terms of, you know, going bowling or whatever and trying to do that sort of thing. But this was different. Well, why is it different? Well, one, 
by driving everybody a good distance away, by getting a by by getting out and away from everything else that changes the atmosphere. And then when you take that and you add that to things where, you know, fishing and skeet shooting, you're going to tell me that uh, I, good luck finding a player on that team who's not going to really enjoy doing one or the other or both. I mean, who doesn't like fishing or skeet shooting or at least one of them? Probably every player on the team is really going to enjoy that. And again, you're outside, but you're doing stuff that's not not associated with the usual uh, working out and the usual clicks on the team and all of that. You're getting a chance to actually get out and be in a in a different environment. And that part is really important as opposed to, you know, some players that said, look, we, we've done this sort of thing where, you know, you go bowling together and all that, but it's just different. And again, when you're in a bowling alley, first of all, you're not outside. It's a different thing. You don't drive as far for that. And I think the drive itself is helpful. And you basically, you're, you're, you're still in a more enclosed space and you're going to be sort of limited in that regard. And then you don't spend the time. What they did at the end of all this is they built some campfires and then let guys get a chance to get some stuff off their chest and really get to know each other. And that's really, really important. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people understand the degree to which a lot of players on teams just don't know each other and you don't know your coaches. So, uh, because there's, there's 110 guys that are in camp and then there's all, you know, there's those, there's the coaches for each position and you don't know the coach from the other position generally, not, not beyond face recognition and a little bit of interaction. But when you get in these, op- in these environments, you actually get to know some of the other people on the team that you don't know. I mean, if you're in the seg, if you're in your your wide receiver segment room, you know the other receivers, and you're going to know the quarterbacks because you're spending time with them, and you're probably going to know the, the the corners pretty well and the safeties, but you don't really know a lot of other guys all that well unless you're intentional about it. And this is where and and it's hard to fight for people, hard to fight with people that you don't know. And this is where that's really important. And and I just I'm a big fan of 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 this kind of thing where you where you go remotely to where it's where there's no other distractions and you get a chance to actually let guys do stuff together that they actually enjoy outside and having a little bit of competition and other things. I mean, you, I can guarantee you that you got some guys that are laughing at each other about, you know, their <laughs> less than stellar uh, skeet shooting uh, abilities or, you know, competitions over what fish, who caught what fish. I know Odell's out there fishing. Uh, that that guy loves to fish. So, you know, you you get to see like, no, this is, this is who I am. This is the stuff I like to do. And then you get around the campfire and you get to let more off your chest. You get to explain where you came from. You get to talk about, uh, about who you are and, and, and get to know each other a little bit and rag on each other a little bit and get to know your coaches a little bit better. That really matters, especially in this situation where you didn't have a spring, you didn't have anything in the summer to really get to know anybody. And, and that's something that's really going to be important, uh, moving forward. Now you can't put, you can't overweight it. You don't want to overweight it because I mean, it is one thing, but it is, it is something that based on all of the feedback from it went exceptionally well. And again, further earned trust with this coaching staff that they're not just looking at these players as an, as a means to an end, but they're actually, you know, it really matters for players to know that, that you want to hear them, that they feel heard, that they're not just a means to an end for you, that, that they're, 
that they're people that you that you care about and are concerned for. And at that point, they'll fight for you. They'll actually play for you. They'll 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 they feel like they're part of you are part of their goals as well. And that's something that's imperative for for uh, coaches to be able to build in. And it's really hard to do. It takes time. Uh, and this is the sort of thing that again that seems to have had some positive effect on. I want to pause for a moment and thank Luis Marquez from Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Over 90% of home buyers search online first these days, so it's critical to make sure your listing stands out with great pictures and video. Lewis is a trained photographer and videographer. Other realtors have hired him to come photograph their listings, and nobody will make your home look better for prospective home buyers, including smooth, professional walkthrough video. And if you're in the market to buy a home in the greater Jacksonville area, no one will outwork Lewis. He was a manager at the Pickup Publix on Ocala and Tallahassee, so you know he works hard and understands customer service. He'll help you find the right house and make sure every step goes smoothly through closing. Information in the show notes, let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. Now, on the field, there's been plenty of plenty of stuff that's leaked out, some stuff that uh, uh, has been discussed in interviews and so on. So let's go ahead and, and talk about some of the things that, that we've gathered from the two scrimmages so far and just in general practice impressions. And, and for one thing, it's a little bit hard to, to gauge on certain stuff because there've been players that have had to sit out. It's hard to gauge what you've got, what you're doing at the quarterback position when you can't throw because of a combination of pressure. I mean, that's, that's been an issue in, in some, in, in some cases, as you'd expect, because the offensive line isn't very good. The defensive line's really good, but also because you don't have say your top four outside wide receivers out in the field at times. And when those guys aren't practicing, well, you know, because you've got a guy that that made some of these other guys have to sit out for a while, well, that's um that's an issue. So some of that stuff has been taking place on both sides. But at the same point, you can also see that they're also having some players sit out because they already know what they've got in those players. So you're looking at guys like Tamori and Terry, Marvin Wilson, Durden. Some of these guys, they're going ahead and pulling them out in terms of the number of reps that they're taking in practice because they're saying, "Look, we know what you, we, we know what we have in you. We 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 already trust you that you're, you you've got some sense of what we're trying to do with you. So let's bubble wrap you a little bit and let's try to see what we've got from the next guys. And some of this is just not having had a spring. I mean, when you haven't had a spring to be able to to evaluate to say, okay, well, look, I know Terry is an NFL receiver. I know that, but what do I have?" for my number two and three behind him. Like how much can I depend on those guys? You, you need to find that out. And I, my impression, and you could get a little, you got a little bit of this from Dillingham's comments after the last, uh, after the last scrimmage. And I'll get to those in a, in a few minutes, but uh, they, they've been spending a lot of time on both sides of the ball, just trying, trying different things and, and tinkering a little bit and trying to get a good sense of what, uh, what they have at this position. Okay, so if we put these two guys on the field on the outside and these two guys on the inside, what does it look like? What what can these guys do? And they're trying they're trying to get a good sense of what they have. And they just don't they don't know that at this point. I mean, they're still they're still really feeling out. This is if you're boxers, this is this is just jabbing a little bit and trying to figure out like, okay, what what can this guy? How much power does this guy have? Like, wh- how does he how does he work? That's where they are as a coaching staff. They're just trying to get t- to figure out what is it that what is it that this guy does well. What is it that this guy doesn't do well? What is it that what is it that I can trust this guy to do, and what is it that I absolutely cannot ask this guy to do? 
And if you've seen some of the stuff that's leaked out, like, you know, you don't want to ask Jay Williams to block a defensive end one-on-one. And I'm not talking about a good defensive end. I'm talking about any defensive end one-on-one, <laughs> right? So, you know, right there, if, if that guy's in the game at left tackle, we're going to have to do some things differently. But can you find something that he can do in case you wind up with that situation? That's what they're doing. So, and it's hard to do that, but also, you know, with, with a lot of players sitting out, they've been rotating a lot of guys and trying to figure out who fits well where, and it's just a, lo- a process of a lot of evaluation. And so in that sense, it's been kind of a combination of your typical fall practice and spring practice and, try- and trying to sort of do both at once without breaking the kids down as well. And that that's really hard. Uh, that said, I have to say that it's been refreshing to see the, the honesty in different places and the refusal to just uh, puff up his players and blow smoke about, about different things from Norvell. And I don't know whether this is just that he learned from other people having said, look, this is something Taggart didn't really made a mistake on, or if it's just his nature, I'm guessing it's more the latter. But if you listen to him after these scrimmages and you listen to what he's saying after these practices, it's refreshing because he's coming out saying, well, you know, we just, we, we did not do anything well in this respect. Well, you know, we're okay over here, you know, but you'd really like to see our guys compete better here. This is something we've got to get better at, or we're trying to get better at, at this, but we, we've got miles to go. We just, and you, you hear him about mid, midway through last week, he said, we, we still have to learn how to compete. We still have to learn how to get better every day. We, we you know, ba- uh, average players, you know, they, they let off the gas a little bit. But guys that really want to be great, those are the guys that we want. Those guys don't do that. And he's he's trying to get after his players to to change the way that they work. And there's there's some places where he's kind of reminiscent of, of Jimbo in that regard, where you know you talk to Jimbo at different points and you'd ask him, well, how's this? How is this in practice? And you'd hear very average. You know, <laughs> I was very average, which you know, or just not not good enough. And with Norvell, he just won't. He has not minced words. He said, "We're just not good enough in this area." And this is something we've got to do better. And we're going to challenge our guys to come out better the next day. And after the last practice, what did they do after the after the second scrimmage? They took, uh, they cut up like 10, 12 different plays, and they showed like, look, there's one missed assignment right here. If you if you do your job, this this hits. This might score. If you just do your job, but you didn't do your job, you didn't you didn't execute with this technique or you th- this false step or this missed assignment. This is what screwed it. This is why it's second and seventeen instead of official with his hands up in the air. And that that's that's what you've got to do with this team. And again, it's it's my impression is that this this staff they are really excited about the level of talent that they have defensively. But I think they 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 are aware of the the psycho uh, the psychological state of this team and how they they really need to emphasize the the grind and the work and the taking pride in the little things aspects and diminish and minimize any sense of, you know, of swag. And and you know, this is something I've talked about on this show before is swag puts the cart before the horse. When you're talking about, Oh, we need to get our swag back. No swag. Swag is an after effect. 
you can't ask or expect players to be confident until they've put in the work, until they've until they've done the grind. Confidence is the reward for the grind. You earn the ability the, the ability to to feel confident about where you're at. You earn that. You know that. Look, I've put in the work. I've gotten. I, I am this good because here's what I've done, and I believe in what I've done. If you're confident and you haven't done that, that's just that's that's going to get shattered real quick because you're going to run into the person who has done that, and that's real confidence. That's you know a, a friend of mine who played uh, at UNC and in the NFL talks about the the fake tough guy syndrome. You've got that guy who's always you know jumping around or doing whatever, but then just waiting wait until he gets hit. And you get a lot. Florida State's had a lot of those players of late, and. Basically, what they're what they're base what this coaching staff is doing is they're saying, look, if you want to if you want to actually win, if you want to have the right to earn that swag, you need to earn it, and that's coming from the hard work each day. If you take pride in that, when you walk out there, you know you've outworked the, everybody else, and then you can you can feel like, look, you can hit me, but I've I've been hit like that before. Now now wait until you see what I've got for you. That's where that confidence comes from. And and my impression is that this staff is really put, pushing the, the, the accelerator on that aspect of things and really emphasizing that aspect to this team and emphasizing the importance of not taking any any little thing for granted, but putting in that work and grinding the way that, they, that, that they're expecting and that then the results pay off. But minimizing any sort of swagger, any sort of aspect of that in, in favor of no, we're going to we're going to demand the best out of you and at the end of this you're going to be glad we did. That's and that's where they're at and and I'm I'm pleased about that. Now, in terms of what Dillingham actually said after the last scrimmage, I I think it says a lot about where they're at offensively. He said, "We're trying to figure out what we're good at. We're trying to run enough variety of things to find out what we're good at. Because you can't find out what you're good at if you run what you are good at over and over again. Because then you don't know if you're good at anything else." So it sounds to me like they, they know there are a couple things that they're good at and they could keep working on those things and keep polishing those things, but they're trying to find, okay, is, uh, can we find like four or five more things that we can hang our hat on? And they're not getting to the place where they're polishing up anything. They, they're just not there. And this is all the stuff that you would do in spring. You're going to, you're going to install everything in spring and you're going to, you're going to just see what everybody can do and what what plays work with your personnel and what plays work with this personnel, but with, not with that personnel. And he said, so I think it's, it's kind of a combination of both is that after those two scrimmages, trying to figure out what we're good at by running a multitude of things. And now narrowing that down, now that we know what we're good at and kind of narrowing that focus going into the next few weeks and really getting all our guys on the same page with what we now know we can be successful at that. That's the approach. And and this is very much, again, I'm, I'm going to go back to it. This is very much a Jimbo Fisher approach. People used to criticize Fisher for having too much on uh, too much in on offense in terms of, you know, too, uh, a, a too voluminous playbook. But his philosophy was you, you, you throw a ton of stuff at him, especially in camp. And you, you demand that they learn all of this stuff and, and that you have all of these answers built in. And then you pare down to what you actually, what you actually are good at. What you actually, what you actually run, is dependent more on what you're good at. But you you need to start with a lot. And again, we've talked about this when Taggart came in. We talked about the difference between that philosophy of we're going to throw a ton at you, and then we're going to 
we're going to pick and choose and pare down to what we think we're good at this year. But we're going to install the base, which is a huge base offense at the beginning. And then we're going to use, you know, 15% of that on the year. Or you install the 15% that you've already pre-selected. Here's our system, you know, 15 or 20% of the, of the larger piece that you already scale that down and you just work on getting good at that. And those are two different ways of approaching, especially on the offensive side, approaching football in terms of scheme. You can, you can try to install a ton of stuff, put a lot on your players early, and then you still only can run, you know, 60 to 80 plays in a game. So you're still not, you're, you're not going to be able to run all that. Or you can go ahead and narrow it down to the 15 or 20 concepts that you might run all year and just start with that and roll with that. There's pluses and minuses to both, but Norvell is sort of a little closer to the Jimbo side on this than to the Taggart side in the sense of, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask a lot. I'm going to have a ton of things in that we're going to, we're going to have the ability to do up front. I'm going to have a lot of concepts in for, in the running game. There's a ton of variety in their running game. And there's going to be a lot of different things that we, that we have the capacity to do. But then we're going to figure out that we're just not good enough at this stuff. And this stuff is extraneous. And we're going to narrow down to the 20, 25%. And it's not as much as Fisher. It's just not. But we're going to narrow down to the stuff that we end up getting pretty good at. And that's going to be our base this year. And that's one of the reasons why Norvell's offense is, it has a reputation of being uh, so quarterback friendly and so customizable to his personnel. Because he starts with a lot and then narrows down to what he's figured out his personnel can handle. And that's where they're at now. So the next couple of weeks, what they're doing is they're starting to narrow down on, okay, here are the five or six concepts that we've actually shown we can run on in the running game. And here are the, you know, 10 or 12 concepts in the passing game that we've shown we can run. And, you know, here's, here's the RPOs that have really worked best for our, for our particular combination of, 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 uh, uh, of players. Here's our, Here's, here's the personnel groups that have worked the best. So here's what we're going to focus on. Instead of having 26 different uh, formations and personnel groupings, we're going to, here's the eight of them that, that have worked best for us. Here's, here, and you narrow down that way. And that's what he's doing. That's what they're going to do the next couple of weeks leading up to the, the opener. If they're, if they're going to play the opener, again, we're still in, still nothing is determined at this point in that regard, but they're going to continue to go ahead as though that's, that's happening, but that that's what they're doing. And I think that's a, that's a good approach in terms of especially taking over in this situation. Uh, and the other good thing about that is that with COVID-19 and the inevitable uh, quarantines and guys sitting out at different points during the season, you'd better have a pretty good, uh, a pretty wide selection of options that you can pull out in a given week and say, okay, you guys, we haven't run this since camp, but you remember this? We're going to really emphasize that this week because we don't have this guy and we got to be able to do this. So that's, that's going to be something that, uh, that you're going to see all year. Want to pause for a moment to thank Shenandoah Newsma from Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Shannon has a PhD from UNC and knows how to put that research training to work. And she also takes great pride in not taking a one-size-fits-all approach to real estate. She specializes in customizing strategic options for each client and providing expert guidance through how to think about each option. It's a lot more work, but in the end, Shannon's clients end up way better off. 
My wife and I worked with Shannon a couple years ago and could not recommend her more highly. If you or anyone you know is looking for a realtor in the research triangle, there's no one better. Her information's in the show notes. Tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. Now, on the personnel side, um, Blackman's going to be the quarterback. Uh, that's 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 pretty obvious. Uh, after the Chuba injury, uh, which I was told is a is a collarbone, uh, after the Chuba injury, th- there was really no question about that. And to be honest, from what I was told beforehand, there was really no question that Blackman was going to be the guy even before that. Uh, basically, the two freshmen aren't ready. Uh, they're not ready to to be ahead of Blackman at this stage, and it just it wouldn't be an improvement in that re- in that regard. And it's a it's difficult to say this the right way, but um, I don't expect too much from Jordan Travis. Uh, he's in the three hole for a reason, and I you know he may have a package or two here and there, but I, I don't really uh, expect much from Jordan Travis moving forward unless some things really change. So uh, it's going to be Blackman, and that's going to set up the younger guys down the line. But uh, but. That's that's going to be the case. Now, I, I have seen some significant improvement from Blackman in terms of overall mechanics. He very clearly worked on that over the over the offseason. I'm going to try to do something, a comparison uh, of some mechanics on Patreon here soon. But he's clearly worked on on some of the right things over the offseason. You can see that, in for the most part, the release is more compact and he's doing a better job of not spinning with his lower body which allows him to generate more torque and it's allowing him to be more, uh, uh, more accurate. He's getting better extension on his, on his throws as well. So all of that's really good. Now in the last scrimmage, some of the clips that they released, you could see some bad habits coming back and that's, that's to be expected in live fire, but he's clearly worked on a lot of the right things. And by and large, you should expect some improvement there just in terms of accuracy and in terms of the sorts of things that you can get, uh, in that regard. Um, Defensive line-wise, this is as good a defensive line as Florida State's had in quite a while. Uh, I think a healthy Kendo is going to be a monster this year. It, again, you're dealing with bad offensive tackles that he's going against, but if you weren't talking about a guy with that kind of, of talent, it would be, okay, well, you know, obviously he's he's, uh, he's just winning because the, the guys he's going against are, are bad, but it's... It's actually a, top, a former top 10 recruit and a guy that looks like you built him in a lab to play in the NFL. And if he can stay healthy, all of a sudden it seems the light bulb has gone on for him and you get the, the top four defensive tackles with him and Janarius, that's going to be as good a defensive front as anybody has in the country. And, uh, and so that's going to be a plus. Now, offensively, on the offensive line, I'll just say this, Darius Washington better not get hurt. He might be the most important player on the team after Blackman. And you might even argue he might be the most important player on the team because if if Washington's not on the field at left tackle, they are in trouble. I mean, if 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 Washington's not not at left tackle, I think at this stage you might see Robert Scott there. You might see a freshman there. They they just don't have they don't have another guy there right now. And you don't want to you don't want to be putting a true freshman out there without with no spring, no new system for everybody. Yikes. Washington though can can hold his water, so super important player for for Florida State there. Uh, the interior I think is going to be fine, and they're still trying to figure out who they can trust the most there. But the interior is going to be fine. Right tackle still going to be a weakness. Looks like they're going to have to go with Devonte Taylor at right tackle instead of having him at guard, which is really where they preferred him. They just don't have tackles that they can trust, and that's the re- that's the reality of it. 
but it's still going to be a weakness there. And part of the problem here is that with Jordan Wilson's injury, uh, again, the UCLA tight end with the knee injury in camp, that really minimizes what they're going to be able to do with the tight end position to help the offensive line. And Norvell has typically used his tight ends and H backs a lot to help his offensive line. There's a lot of sophistication built in a lot of things that, that he does to try to make sure that his offensive line is helped. And if you don't have tight ends who are capable of doing that, that minimizes how much you're able to sort of use that position to help. So that, that, that really hurts. They're going to have to find ways to do it anyway, but that's, that's something that I think, especially in the running game, that, that one really, really hurt them because they were going to be able to use Wilson's uh, blocking ability and his physicality in the running game in ways that they just don't have other tight ends that, that are capable of that to that degree. Now, I do think that this is a plus about Norvell's philosophy in that he he wants to play a high-tempo offense, no doubt. But he's willing to vary that tempo, and he's willing to slow it down and grind and play field position if it comes to that. And a lot of offensive coaches, especially you know your more modern spread guys, they struggle there. They struggle. They they just they want their offense to score as many points no matter what. Norvell gets it, and he goes, look, he understands that there's going to be times where with the defense that he has, he'll play to the defense. Now he also understands that points are the defense's best friend, but at the same point, he's going to understand that at times you, you got to play you got to play field position if you if your offense is that limited. Let the defense do its thing, but make sure you just don't put the defense in bad in bad field position. And if they can prevent putting this defense in bad field position, it's going to be really hard to score on this defense this year. And part of that's because you're looking at a legit two deep with NFL talent at defensive tackle. They're going to be able to rotate those guys playing. 35, 40 snaps. And as long as they're not off the field because of injury or, or uh, COVID, you're going you're gonna to be seeing a four-man rotation as good as any in the country at defensive tackle. Lovett has been the real deal. And then in the secondary, also as talented as just about anybody. I mean, you got Georgia, Alabama, a couple others that would be more talented in the secondary than Florida State. But maybe you couldn't count five teams in the country that are more talented in the secondary than Florida State. I mean, Travis Jay, who's been apparently showing out in practice, one of the best defensive defensive uh, defensive back prospects in the country coming out. You're looking at you're looking at a series of four and five star guys. I mean, Akeem Dent, everybody would have taken Akeem Dent, and at that boundary corner position, he's going to be as good as anybody. So they're going to have some. And if you're going to want, if you're going to be good at any two spots on defense, I want to start with defensive tackle and defensive back. I want to be really good at those spots. If you want to be elite, those are the two spots to be elite. And they have a chance to be elite at those spots. Now, linebacker coverage, still going to be a question mark. There's still some issues in terms of who the de- designated pass rusher is going to be. I mean, there's some signs that Kando might be that guy. You need, a, you need a, DP, a DPR. You need a designated pass rusher, a guy that can get to the quarterback reliably. But... That doesn't. So there, there, there's some questions on the defensive side. There are there are some things that we're going to have to see answered. But at the same point, there's a lot of reasons to think that this defense could be really good. And the thing is, it's going to be really interesting to see this group of talent with actual defensive coordination, an actually coordinated defense where they're on the same page, where they understand what they're doing. And you know. Like I said, the talent on defense is as good as maybe four or five, all but four or five teams in the country. Now, 
I'm not a hundred percent sold on, on Fuller's track record as being an elite defensive coordinator. I mean, I, I think he's a good coordinator, but you know, there's some things that I've seen in, on, on the film that his past defenses, and he hasn't been in places long enough always to, to really see what the long term is there. But there's been some mistakes and some some holes at different points, and some of that's just due to where he's been. But he's a good coordinator. I, I do believe that this is going to be a, a a solidly coordinated defense where there is a clear identity of what they're what they're after, and they're going to get after people. And the scheme and the coaches are united and coordinated, and that hasn't been true on the defensive side of the ball in Tallahassee in a long time. So that in itself is going to be good if they can just have that group of talent working on the same page. In a, in a scheme that actually is asking those guys to do what they do well, that in itself is going to take care of a lot because they've not done that in a while. And I do also love the mission takeaway emphasis on turnovers. And yeah, turnovers are partly luck. It's a big part of luck. But here's the thing. Teams that emphasize them do tend to get lucky more often. Part of that is because when you emphasize that, when you're emphasizing constantly going after the ball, then guys are always looking for the strip. They're always taking the extra steps to be near the pile or to to get the extra shot on a guy or to be there when the ball pops out or pop up. And so you get more lucky because there are more guys in the screen. And that's just an effort thing that you are fostering by emphasizing the takeaway thing. And and so that, that you know, yeah, it's gimmicky, but gimmicks do work with college athletes. So I, I think that's a good thing. But this is going to be, I, I think, a really good defensive team. And there are going to be limitations. Again, first year in a system, there's going to be busts. But there's very little reason to think that they can't be a lot better than they were last year. There's, and again, with that level of talent, there's no excuse not to be a top 20 or top 15 defense. There just isn't an excuse, even if you've got some holes, even if you're in a first year with that. And of course, there's what 39 teams playing, so should be better than that. So you know, top 10 defense should be really, really good, and that gives you some luxury in terms of how you call the offense. And I think that's that's going to be how Norvell and Dillingham are going to have to think about things offensively. Is okay, look, we're going to have to call this as a whole team project, calling from the defense out, knowing how good that defense is. Maybe you take a few extra chances in in different cases, knowing that your defense can handle it. But the main thing is, you know that you if you just give teams long fields against that defense, it's not going to go well for that team, for that offense. So that's a plus. All right. One last thing before we before we go. And that is I want to revisit Athlon's anonymous coach comments. Athlon does this every every offseason uh, and they released these a little earlier in the offseason where the coaches talked about, and this is, they're talking to coordinators and head coaches about other teams in the conference. And it's interesting to hear a couple things that were said about uh, about Norvell and about Florida State coming into this year. And I, I, I don't know that everybody has read these, so I figured I'd, I'd take a look at them real quick. The first one I think is, is, is probably the most interesting. Everyone is a little bit nervous about Mike Norvell coming into the league. Think about that. That's not what you heard the last time, but everyone is a bit is a little bit nervous about Mike Norvell coming into the league. This won't be an over, overnight fix, but it's a big name Florida school, and they can get talent in there faster than most places. The idea there, it's very clear that that coach thinks Mike Norvell is a really good scheme scheme mind and a really good coach. And if he gets the talent in there, then look out. 
That's saying something. And then the next comment, you knew during the Taggart era that they weren't going to be consistent or coached up. They didn't play hard, especially those last few games he was there. And it's because they didn't practice hard. And you combine those two things, that says a lot. So people are a little worried about, everyone is a little nervous about Norvell coming into the league. And part of that is that, well, Taggart and that group, you knew that you were not getting a optimized Florida State. But they that you combine those two things and it's, it's the idea that Norvell is one of those guys who could potentially optimize Florida State. Good for that. Then the next thing. Right away, they can build on defense. The front seven is talented, and the secondary is good by other school standards, but maybe not theirs. I think it'll be good by Florida State standards, potentially, depending on what personnel's out there. But it, it'll be good by everybody else's standards, pretty much, except for your Bamas and Georgias and a few, few like that. And offensively, we think Blackman can fit what Mike likes to do. It's a versatile offense that wants to be able to bend and change around what the personnel can do. Blackman just made so many bad decisions last year. That's the improvement you can expect immediately. Okay. And again, I want to emphasize that's what they're, what they're really emphasizing or what they're really hanging their hat on in this camp is finding out what that offense needs to bend and change around to fit that personnel and to make sure that Blackman's in position so that he's not being asked to do stuff he's totally uncomfortable doing. And when you're not uncomfortable doing, when you're not being asked to do stuff you, you, you can't do, you make better decisions. We'll go ahead and leave off with that. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening.